0: with us on this Easter Sunday. We are so delighted that you chose to come and worship with us and to lift up that glorious name of the Lord as we celebrate his resurrection. Amen. If you were not in the adult Bible class this morning, you missed a tremendous Bible teaching. David just done an outstanding job and we appreciate that. Before I get into the word, let me say thank you to all of those who responded last weekend to Pastor Mundati and the need that we were presented with in the church there at the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I thank you so much for your kindness and your graciousness to Pastor Mundati and the work they're trying to do there in that region of the world. The Lord will bless you for your endeavors and for your giving. Keep them in your prayers as they encounter difficult times. We come to this service this morning uh, with a Ray of excitement and enthusiasm about the fact that we serve a risen Savior. We also come to this, I come to this pulpit this morning with an air of sadness in my heart. As one of our own precious family members has suffered a tragic loss yesterday afternoon. For those of you who may not know, Sister Audrey Gillespie's sister and her husband lost their lives in an automobile, tragic automobile accident yesterday late afternoon. So we ask you keep them in your prayers lift them up and hold them up before the Lord at such a tragic time as this. We also ask that you, those of you who know Brother Jean and Sister Marty Gillespie, pray that you remember them in prayer. Sister Marty is in the hospital in Birmingham. Uh, she suffered a stroke last night and uh, they are going to have to, uh, appears they're going to have to place a stent in, uh, in one of the arteries of her heart. So uh, let's keep them in prayer. Also remember, Sister Cruz, she is very ill and not feeling well enough to be here this morning. So, uh, yet we know we serve a risen Savior. Amen. Amen. And He is able to envelop us in His love and His tender mercies. And He's able to lift us up in these times of need. I invite your attention this morning to Luke chapter 24, verses 28 through 32. We'll read in your hearing as we look into the word of the Lord today. Again, we're so delighted to have each of you here with us this morning amen amen when you get there say amen luke chapter 24 verse number 28 encounters with jesus on the road of life everybody say that with me encounters with jesus on the road of life the word of the lord says then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us can you say amen Amen. and let us bow our heads in prayer heavenly father i thank you today for this another privilege and an opportunity that we have been granted to come together here to be able to worship you and to lift up your name in song and in praise and in adoration lord as we come to this portion of the service this morning we ask you, Lord, to bless your word, and I stand humbly before you as a vessel and an instrument for your glory and for your purpose, that you might use us today for the ministry and preaching of your word. And we'll give you the thanks and praise for all. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask it. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Shake hands with someone close by you there and smile at them real big. Tell them you're glad to see him here this morning, and you may be seated. Amen. Smile real big now. Mean it when you say it. Amen. <clears throat> Just a few days before the pre-dawn raid on Gethsemane, Jesus mounted the foal of a donkey, which, by the way, was a recognized symbol of peace an unmistakable identification with the Messiah. And he rode into Jerusalem to the cheering of thousands. In fact, willing subjects of the king paved his way with their cloaks. Others caught, cut palm branches. And laid them along the stone pavement and shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He was the Messiah. Jesus had promised abundant life. And his followers fully expected Jesus would become their king and that Israel would again be prosperous and free. However, less than a week later, As the sun fell behind the horizon toward the end of an unforgettable week, Jesus Christ hung cold and lifeless on a Roman cross just outside the city walls. His most faithful followers sat in dejected wonder and amazement as the sun set and the Sabbath began. In light of the prophecies Jesus made and given the complete confidence that his followers had placed in them, nothing seemed to make sense. How could such an event take place and how could such a thing happen knowing what they knew? The people clearly wanted a righteous king. But as he lay dead, the chief priests were busy, if you will, restocking the Annas the High Priest bazaar that had taken place around him. And Israel's political leaders were seeking ways to exploit Pilate's newfound popularity. And in the minds of these few followers, not only had Jesus failed to improve Israel, but the nation's future seemed even bleaker than before. Discouragement and desperation reigned supreme in these hours that they experienced and witnessed. Perhaps you and I, or someone listening to this via tape or over the Internet, can identify with the pain of Jesus' followers. Perhaps you have experienced the death of a dream or had the bridge to your ideal future crumble beneath your feet. Probably all of us at one time have been there. Probably all of us at one time have watched life just crumble underneath our feet. And with amazement and wonder, we wonder why. Maybe you're suffering that difficult, disillusioning situation right now. And if so... You have the opportunity to experience abundance like no other time in our life. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And we have encounters with Him often on the road of life. Now, if that surprises you, and perhaps it does, I mean, it's, isn't spiritual enlightenment supposed to be enthralling? Isn't divine wisdom the result of an ecstatic encounter in which God's spirit mystically touches ours? After all, many television and radio preachers make the spiritual life sound so exciting. Like a miracle a day will just drive all of our problems away. Some talk of victorious living and the good life in which all of our dreams will come true if we only choose to live by faith and claim God's best. And oh, by the way, send them a nice offering. But let me say this to you, my friends, that does not encompass abundant living. That's nothing more than spiritualized spin on the power of positive thinking. We will encounter difficult times. That does not necessarily equate to your lack of faith. It does not necessarily equate to your lack of trust in Jesus Christ. It's just part of living. Amen. It's the same talk that you hear from any motivational speaker in the country with the addition of a few biblical verses Tossed in there and they're usually taken out of context. To give it a sanctified shine, if you will. You see, thanks to blockbuster movies and thrill rides and Madison Avenue ad campaigns, we have come to expect that if life isn't sensational, something must be wrong. We must be skinny and beautiful. I'm having trouble with that, in case you haven't noticed. We must pursue a career that's continually challenging and rewarding, and we must become rich and famous, and we must enjoy a family life that's dynamic and fulfilling. That's what they're portraying, is it not? And if we're not careful, we can apply those expectations to our spiritual journey and fail to see the hand of God in the ordinary events of life. Amen. How often have we missed the presence and power of God in just the ordinary events that surround our life? Amen. Because we got this sensational thing somehow, etched in our mind that everything ought to be sensational and we ought to... Because that's what's been instilled in us. Even more tragic, we might fail to recognize his gentle teaching in the midst of life's most painful trials. You will encounter painful trials, my friend. Amen. I don't say that to be pessimistic. I'm saying that to be realistic. As the sun rose on the first day of the week and... The Passover feast came to an end. Two of Jesus' followers left for home, clearly and unmistakably disillusioned and resolving to leave their foolish dreams in Jerusalem forever. You see, even even as the rumors of the resurrection circulated, the dejected pair began that seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus where they called home. The Bible says, And they talked together all of these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad. Dr. Luke describes the disciples' conversation as, if you will, as bantering ideas back and forth with great emotion in a shared search for answers. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? Where you've got a conversation going and the two individuals or several, whatever it might be, are bantering about ideas back and forth with great emotion. Oh, get me in a good Bible conversation and a good scriptural conversation and I guarantee you I'll be bantering them back and forth with emotion. And that's the way they were doing it. They were just bantering these ideas back and forth with great emotion in search for some answers to what they had just witnessed, it just didn't turn out the way they had imagined and the way they thought it would. And when Jesus asked what kind of conversation is this, Luke uses the term anti-battle, which literally means to throw back and forth. They were they were just throwing these on. Jesus is listening and these two guys are talking and they're, well, maybe it's this. No, I don't think so. Maybe it's that. No, maybe this happened. No, I don't think so. Maybe it was this. He's going, what are y'all talking about? These disillusioned followers of Jesus desperately wanted to know why their expectations of the Messiah had come to such a tragic end. And so they were exploring a number of theories. We've all done that. Something in life didn't turn out the way we thought we had a plan, the way we thought God would do it. We had God all... Compartmentalized, we had him all figured out. He was going to do X, Y, Z, and turned around it didn't happen that way. So we go through that process of exploring a number of theories. It's so I say, man, doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you human. Interestingly, the eyes of these two disciples were divinely prevented from recognizing Jesus. As he just kind of slipped into their conversation. To them, at least at this point, Jesus was just an ordinary man, a stranger out of the shadows, joining them on their journey. And when Dr. Luke recorded this story in the pages of God's Holy Writ, he employed what literary scholars call literary irony, in which we as the readers are aware of important facts that are hidden from the characters. There's a lot of things we know about this 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 scene that they didn't know. We know that was Jesus that joined them. they didn't. so it's called literary irony. I want you to note and enjoy the response of the Emmaus bound disciples to jesus' question what are you all what's what's this conversation? what's been going on that you all are talking this way then one whose name was Cleopas now. Cleopas is only mentioned twice in the Bible that I can find. And if you find it somewhere else, let me know. John chapter 19 and verse 25 tells us who Cleopas is. And Cleopas is Jesus' mother's sister's husband. Whose name was Mary. That makes Cleopas Aunt Mary's husband. Check it out. It's in there. So just for the point of clarification, I'll, I'll read on. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him... In other words, he was part of the inner circle. He was part of the family, okay? He had kind of a... A little more insight, perhaps. Are you the only... They asked him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happen here these days? Now, given his audience his question was really laughable. If anyone understood what happened, it was Jesus. But he didn't know who he was. And for the obvious reasons, if anyone was clueless, it was old Cleopas. He didn't have a clue. However, rather than to humiliate or chastise them, Jesus encouraged these disciples to talk on let me see what else you got going on in this cranial cavity of yours you know he encouraged them to talk on but for a very different person so jesus asked what things are you talking about so they said to him the things concerning jesus of nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed in deed and word before god and All the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were... Now get this last line and don't forget this. We're going to go back to this in a minute. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Hmm. Keep that thought in your head. We were hoping. How many of you hoped? We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. You see, with that very statement, Cleopas revealed the source of his trouble. His noble expectations for a social, political, and economic Messiah had failed to materialize. How many of you had expectations and hopes and dreams and ideas that somehow failed to materialize? Mm-hmm. His limited perspective would not allow him to embrace the Messiah's true agenda. I would like to preach a while on true agendas, but i got to move on. It would not let him recognize the Messiah's true agenda, of which economic prosperity and political liberation were only a tiny fraction of that agenda. You see, their expectation yielded another tragic consequence. The Bible says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Instead, beside all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find the body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Now Cleopas and his traveling partner who goes unnamed saw everything clearly in the sense that they had all of the facts. They had all the facts lined up just just the way they happened. There was nothing out of place. There was nothing unorganized. There was nothing disparaging about it. They had everything just lined up just right. However, they lacked the ability to see what should have been plainly visible. Perhaps there was three faulty perspectives that coated their eyes with layers of dark film, if you will, shielding them from the truth and keeping them from perpetually, or I should say keeping them perpetually groping for the answers in a very dark, in a despairing darkness. And Jesus came to them to do one thing, and that's to peel away all of that business and the faulty perspectives one layer at a time until they could see clearly. Now, here's some things I want you to recognize about these passages. First of all, their viewpoint lacked a spiritual dimension. Amen. Leaving them with a merely human understanding of the events they could only see these events through eyes of human understanding. They saw Jesus as remember what the remember the passage I told you. Remember they saw Jesus as a prophet before God and all the people. But the chief priests and rulers handed him over and crucified him. This is the facts as they looked at him and they seen him. Jesus, however, didn't see the events that way. In fact, here's what Jesus told Pilate before his crucifixion. In John chapter 19 and verse 11, Jesus flat-footed stood and looked at Pilate and said, You could have no power. Pilate says to Jesus, You know, I do have the power to turn you loose. I have the power to restrain you. I have the power to do with you whatever I want. Jesus said, Oh, no, you don't. Hate to be the bearer of bad news, Pilate, but no, no. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Cleopas just couldn't grasp that. Just couldn't get his mind wrapped around that very fact that Jesus went to Calvary because he permitted it to be so. Not Pilate. The second thing is, faulty perspective was, their own agenda determined their expectations. Here's what I mean by that. Cleopas wistfully added, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Remember I told you, remember that line. It was he, we, we, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They're telling Jesus this, and as you have heard it stated from this pulpit many times, The people of Israel made the mistake of thinking the Messiah would merely recapture the glory days of King David and victoriously lead Israel to become a Jewish world empire. They asked him that just before his ascension into heaven. They wanted to know when. When are you going to set things in order here? That's what was in their mind. That was their hope and their vision and their expectations of the events of that day. One very important and final truth, obscuring layer that remained on their eyes that kept them where they were at, is they failed to acknowledge the resurrection. I've said everything I have this morning to bring us to this they failed to acknowledge the resurrection. They had heard the reports. Cleopas mentions that in his narrative with Jesus. He talked about how that Mary and some of them had gone to the tomb, and he was gone, and this and that, and they're telling us he has risen, some declaring they have seen him, and they no doubt had all the facts. They simply refused to believe with their whole heart. Now here's the thing. Their lack of belief affected everything. Amen? Our lack of belief affects everything. Our lack of belief affects everything. If these two disciples had believed that Jesus was alive, I think, in my opinion, you can take it for what it's worth, I think they would have behaved a little differently. In fact, in a couple of aspects, I think they would have behaved a little differently. And here's what I mean by that. First, they would have been walking... Toward Jerusalem. Where Jesus was last seen and not away. They were going the opposite direction. The last report was that Jesus had been seen by some in Jerusalem. They were headed to Emmaus. They decided not, you know. That's so much of that dream. We had big hopes and hope things would work out. But it's not. So we're going to go home. Pick up where we left off. The second thing that that I want to point out is that I think kind of betrays or kind of uh, displays where they were at. They would have accepted the trials, the crucifixion, and the burials of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all that He had promised and not as an end of their hopes. Amen. The prophets were full. The word of the Lord was full of prophetic utterances that would secure in their mind the reality that it happened the way the prophets said it would happen. All they had to do was read, go get the scroll and read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. All they had to do was get the scroll of the Psalms and read some favorite passages from there. And it was as evident as evident can be. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Amen. You see, my friends, that's how it happens today. We're working our way through life, walking whatever path, whether it be school, or whether it be work, or whether it be home, or ministry, and then something happens to upset the routine, or even worse, something reduces our life to rubble. If God's presence seems far removed from you, Let me assure you that Jesus Christ remains close by. Amen. He remains close by. And please allow me to suggest a few practical decisions that will assist us in coping with the daily struggles. How many of you all had daily struggles besides me? as I mature the struggles become a little more intense I'm not getting older I'm maturing I asked my dermatologist Friday about some Mysterious looking things that were appearing on my skin. I didn't like the answer. Said, Reverend, that's part of aging. Thank you, thank you very much. I appreciated that. I'm going home feeling better. It's part of aging. First of all, it's important that we choose to view life through God's eyes. Now, I realize that this will not be easy simply based on the fact it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't. Regardless of how much Holy Ghost you have, you still have to deal with humanity. You still have to deal with emotions and feelings that are generated by the carnal man. Amen. So I say that with all seriousness that, that, that it's not going to be easy based on the fact that it doesn't come naturally to us to look at things through God's eyes. We, we look at things through, through our narrow tunnel vision and we, we can't see God right out here straight ahead of us and, but he's over here doing all kinds of things. Amen. You see, we cannot do this on our own. We must allow the Holy Spirit to elevate our vantage point. We must ask the Lord to let us view these things through the eyes of the Spirit. Because when we try to analyze and dissect and compartmentalize the situations in life and what's going on, we will mess it up. Unless we look at it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. The second thing I want to point out to you and I think is very helpful to us in these times in which we live, and that is we need to surrender our expectations. Let me say it like this. We must stop trying to change the universe to work the way we think it should. I I, I like things to work the way I think they should. I can't get my employees to do things the way I think they should. Much less change the universe. But that's, that's, our, that's the way we think. Here's something to think about. Grief is essentially the process of adjusting our mind to accept a radical new situation. Amen? Think about that. Grief is essentially the process of adjusting our mind to accept a radically new situation. The sooner we accept that we will, you know, that, that we will not get our way, the sooner we're going to be healed. How many of you get your way all the time? That's what I thought. We don't get our, get our own way very often, do we? You see, when we give up wishing things were different, we'll start to change from within. Amen. Man, a lot of times we wish things were different, don't we? And oftentimes we second guess, oh, if I would have only done this, or if I would have only been there, if I'd only done that, things would be so different right now. The third thing I want you to bear in mind is we need to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ and stake our future upon it. If you are here today and you have not yet acknowledged the resurrection of Jesus Christ and staked your future upon it, you need to do so. That's the only hope for mankind. It's the only hope for humanity. If you think it's in politics, you are sadly mistaken. You haven't seen anything yet. If you think it's in the hope, you think, if if you think... That your future lies upon those who make right decisions within the complex of government. I'm telling you, friend, you are in for the biggest surprise of your life. But I'm telling you, you need to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ today and stake your future upon it. You see, a genuine belief in the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected will radically transform our approach to life. Amen. Paul said, because he is resurrected, we have hope. Amen. We should also look forward to a resurrection. You see, the death of Jesus Christ conquered sin and overcame death's finality. Amen. Death is no longer final. Sin can no longer hold you and conquer you and keep you restrained. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's His resurrection that gives us life. It's His resurrection that gives us hope. It's His resurrection is the reason to continue when everything appears hopeless. Amen. I said it's His resurrection is the reason to continue when everything appears to be hopeless. You see, the risen Savior offers you and I the same eternal abundant life that he enjoys. We are heirs of God and joined heirs with Christ. Remember my Bible saying that somewhere. Amen? As the musicians make their way forward, I will close with this. Luke chapter 24, verses 30 and 31. It came to pass as he sat at the table with them, here they are now here's Cleopas and his traveling partner and Jesus they had convinced him to stay with them for the evening as their journey had come to a conclusion and they're sitting there around the dining room table these guys are still carrying on a conversation trying to dissect and analyze all of this stuff and which is which is good They were getting all this off of their chest and off of their mind and kind of sorting things out and the bread of life sit at the table with them and he took the bread in his hand. He blessed it. He broke it off and handed them the bread. I don't know what went on in that room at that moment but when he handed the bread of life, broke off that bread, handed it to them, suddenly their world changed. He gave it to them and it said their eyes were opened and they knew him. They knew him. And he vanished from their sight. You see, Jesus Christ, the model human, is not only our Savior, but he is also our example. All of his dreams became reality because they perfectly aligned with the will of the Father. However, let us not forget that he also suffered injustice. Jesus suffered humiliation. He suffered prejudice. He suffered abandonment. He suffered agony. And he suffered sorrow and death. His path to glory Took him down the Via Dolorosa of Tugelgotha and into the grave. You see, if Jesus' life wasn't always, his life wasn't always fantastic. And neither is ours. Fantastic lies on the other side of our resurrection. Amen. The best is yet to come. The best is yet on the other side of our resurrection. So until then, let's look for abundance in the ordinary events of life and especially during the trials. So what do you say? Let's invite Jesus Christ into our homes. Let's let him sit at our dining room tables and break the bread of life. And most of all, let him open our eyes to the realization that he's risen. He's alive forevermore. And he's the savior of the world. After he vanished out of their sight, Cleopas looked at his partner. His buddy looked back at Cleopas. And they said, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road. And while he opened the scriptures to us. Would you stand?